Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 134. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis, sitting in the captain's chair this time. Uh, heroes, gentlemen. Excellent. Uh, one of the biggies. You know, it's one that uh, <clears throat> I've said before, I'm surprised it took us long to get to the guy. He strides through history like a giant that he is. American history, that is. Uh, he, and yet he's still accessible. Uh, only a hundred years past, Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, he's somebody who was somewhat divisive in his lifetime. Uh, he's also one of big the most... Big personalities are always divisive. Pers- divisive. And in fact, that, I'm glad you mentioned that. One of the great quotes that I love about him is, uh, is and it came from one of his daughters, you walked into the room to Roosevelt, and when you left, you had to wring the personality out of your clothes. <laughs> that, that sounds like Alice. It's, it is Alice. It is Alice. Yes. Yes. And it's, a, it's an amazing moment. Well, she also said that uh, her papa had to be uh, the baby at every christening, the corpse at every funeral. <laughs> he had to be the subject of every, you know, he, uh, he had to be on stage all the time. Yeah. His personality was that huge. Made him more than a few enemies because certain people cannot stand well, greatness. He's, in a way, that's one, you can actually say that's really a negative trait. It is. That means yeah. he's really a, a massive narcissist. Oh, yeah. There's no question he is. Yeah. And yeah. power uh, acerbated that for sure. But he was also extremely brilliant. Yeah. He was forward thinking in many ways. He was a prolific writer, prolific writer. Most presidents could never approach the amount of work this man wrote on a daily basis. And we have all of that. Uh, and that's, it's, an, it's an insight into the man a hundred years later uh, that we, we judge him pretty modern, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't give him a lot of passes on, well, that was just the way they thought back then because he's thinking 50, 60 years ahead. He's, he is concerned about the environment long before the concept of global warming or climate change ever entered our vocabulary. Yes. He is the quintessential conservationist, yeah, I think, in the best way. In the best sense of the word. The that's exactly sense. right. He's also somebody who stood up for the little guy. He's a Republican, mind you, at the turn of the century. He's, yeah, you know, and it's a shame because nowadays we have to put that disclaimer on there. That's right. Even though... It, it, it's a shame that we have to, but that didn't need a disclaimer at that time. Not at all. Not and, at all. Yeah, he, he was, was and he wasn't, and then he then he was again, and he was he was he was very consistent with the way he he went about things. Now that's not to say he didn't grow and he didn't get better at it. Uh, he he busted up all the trusts, all the antitrust legislation that we have today. Yes, started with him. Yeah, it was it, not even a thing before him. He signed it, but don't forget. Even though he didn't do it in his biggest style, Taft actually brought more suits yes. than Roosevelt did. That's correct. But, he, but, he started the ball. But Roosevelt, being the kind of the publicity man, made sure that everybody knew he was bringing the suits. Correct. Because before that, nobody knew that they even should. Yes. They didn't care. And, yes. and, it, and were it not for that legal precedent that they laid down, and that's not saying somebody else might not have done it on in, in if he did. Right, because there was obviously a groundswell of support for this. There was. Yeah. Uh, but you could easily see us going down the path of oligarchy uh, if he had yeah. not intervened with yeah. that. I think the thing that's so striking about him is, as you say, 
he's he's just this very unique mixture of intellect and energy uh-huh. that that is is especially for a politician pretty rare. It is. Um, a lot have charisma. I mean, it, it, you kind of have to have that's sort of the you know price of admission into politics. Is right. At least it is now some charisma. Yeah. yeah, but he had he had more than that. Right. Yes, he wasn't he could, an empty suit. Yeah, he could glad hand a line very rapid. I mean, he kind of invented the whole, hey, it's nice to meet you, and shake your hand and move you off to his right, and then shake the next person and left. He was excellent at stuff like that. But he also did have a copious memory for mm-hmm. people um, and, and was very intellectual. Again, a, a huge writer, uh, a polymath, uh, new history, new uh, biology, new uh, just tons of stuff on these disparate subjects, and then brought a ton of energy to his life, always doing something. As you say, suck the air out of every room. Oh, very much so. I mean, he was also, and some of this is right place, right time, because he's 42 years old when he assumes presidency. Yes. Youngest president ever. I mean, yes. he, he was the youngest one to ever assume the office. Not the youngest elected, but the young because he was elected four years later. Uh, and that brought with him the fact that he also had an enormous energy before him. His daughter would say he would, or maybe it was one of his sons, later claimed that he would drink a bathtub full of coffee every day. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's yes, just... He did, not he, a taff-sized tub. Not a taff-sized tub. That's right. <laughs> but he, yes, he did He did like his caffeine, and he, he did use that as a way to, to generate some energy. But. And some of that, too, and if you study his life, you'll also find he was sickly as a child. Yeah. Yes, uh, he had asthma. Asthma terribly, uh, and he actually, and some of this is not a dis, not is a little bit of a disservice to the American ideal, but he's become this of fix working your way out of your problems, pulling yourself by by your own bootstraps. You know that's a that's a, a common term. It's a cliche. Now. It's a cliche, and he's the one that we look to as the example because he did that in a spectacular manner. And uh, and because he's such a great self promoter of him, you know, constantly, yes. it's become part of oh, well, just be like Teddy, you know. If Teddy could do that, why can't you? And that's not quite fair uh, to us because Teddy, and, but but Teddy did do that. He yeah. really did. I mean, there's not a whole lot when you read about the man that that you read like oh, well, that was just a myth. No, that was real. No, he, he really did because, because he's he got all the records. Yeah, but it's he's not. There's not a whole lot of hyperbole in the actual retelling. That's right. It's uh, surprisingly it, enough. We find him hard to believe, but we shouldn't, and that's kind of his charm. Mm-hmm. It's because there ain't no other like it. No, you know, you know it, one of the things that the more I examine him as you know, as we prepare for this, and as you know, I'm really bad about preparing way ahead of time, but. The and I haven't read the the biographies uh, that that Martin has sitting next to him, which have been on my list of things to do, and I still haven't done it. I'm really bad about that stuff. It's three freaking volumes, the big one, and it's yeah. a lot of stuff. It's dense. Reading his quotes, for instance, for the last episode, and just looking at the things he did, Teddy Roosevelt strikes me as the ideal. Not just, you know, man's man kind of a thing. But I like him for so many things. His views on life, you know, the whole in the arena quote. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole thing about taking personal responsibility. Uh, 
and all the stuff we talked about with the quotes. But also, I think he's just a fantastic mix because you know he's a progressive. He's a progressive for the time, and I think he's a progressive in the most positive sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's a conservationist in the best sense of the word. It is. I think it's become perverted into the modern green movement. Uh, he yet he was also, in a way, he was very much an idealist who acted upon his ideals. You know, in the eighteen eighty four. That's it. Camp or not camp convention. Sorry, uh, for the GOP. He actually got the delegates to agree to let one of the temporary chairmen, because there's a temporary chairman throughout the entire thing, yeah. was a black man. The first African-American who was had a position of authority in one of the political parties. It was, it was a passing thing, but it was a landmark thing to have happened. Mm-hmm. Even though this is just 20 years after the end of the Civil War, you know, you think, well, uh, probably, probably went on. No, it didn't. No. And he didn't do it to make a political point. I mean, he was making a political point in the sense he was trying to block the uh, his opponents from doing something, but he didn't do it to make a, to score a racially motivated political point. No, and not in the same sense we have things like that going on today. You know, he's he was very much a I believe a a man who would take you at face value for who you are, you not had what you to, look like. Yeah, you had to earn your way with him. Well, Booker T. Washington is a great example, and Edmund Morris, who uh, wrote, in my opinion, and I know Martin, yours too, <coughs> kind of the quintessential modern biography of him, the three volumes when we talked about, um, tells the story at the beginning of his presidency, how he hosts Booker T. Washington at the White House, first black man ever hosted there, and Roosevelt... Really? Even before, what about Frederick Douglass? Well... Hosted for an, a, like a, an official function. Official dinner. function. A dinner. Like dinner. That's Actually, correct. Dinner. Oh, yeah. Okay. There was a, yeah, there's a certain piece there. It's kind of like a celebration of him okay, okay. on his line. And uh, he expended an enormous amount of political capital in a very racist environment. He never did it again he, uh, he, it, because it became almost untenable. He took a million dollars worth of crap for that at the time. And that's back when a million dollars was real money. That's why. It's, it's, it's some serious <laughs> business here. Uh, and he was criticized all over the place, A, for before he did it and after he did it. But he said later in life, you know, it was he, he never regretted it. It was the right mm-hmm. thing to do. That kind of nails it with what you, what he's doing. Yes. Everything with Roosevelt stems from an underlying principle that is clearly defined and that he lived by. Yeah, you know, right or wrong on any of his principles, because not everybody will agree with anybody's principles. That's right. You know, but he could, he could... But I will at least respect somebody who expresses their principles and lives by them no matter what. Mm-hmm. Because he's doing it from a position of good. He's, he's stating this is a moral good, here is why, and I will live by it. And I will expect you to live by it, too. Yeah. Now, you know, obviously, you could say that, well, somehow like Hitler did the same thing, but his were obviously not moral goods. That's right. You know, this, there you is know, a difference. Very much so. That's you know, I wouldn't respect Hitler for living by his principles because his principles sucked. <laughs> well, they were based on obvious immoralities. Right. Roosevelt's were not. Exactly, and that's what makes him so appealing. And usually those who opposed him did not oppose him on philosophical grounds, although the race issue was one of those that they did. Uh, A lot of it was practicality or financial. Yes, so, yeah, the trust boxers... being gored, as they say. Those who were were part of the trust, I'm sure, hated him because they were personally affected. That's right. And I'm sure they wouldn't have minded seeing their competitors broken up. But, you know, it's human nature. 
that principle sounds really good until it affects me. <laughs> well, that's right. And, yeah. But that's that wasn't him. That wasn't Teddy. No. If that's the principle, then that's the principle. And it's one of history's great ironies that he even became president at all. Yes. Uh, and, and, we, and Martin, you've talked about yeah. this. Uh, yeah. Is the reason he had he had become a political force. He'd been governor of New York, uh, among several other things, a secretary of the Navy, uh, undersecretary of the Navy, I think it is. Uh, yes, he was, was undersecretary of the Navy at the time when the secretary of the Navy was kind of an elderly. I'm going to go up to my house in New Hampshire, uh, Theodore. You look out for things, right? Exactly. So he in, he wielded a de facto. Uh, he he was yeah, doing kind of work. a. We, Wielded a ton of power while he was, but he was a police commissioner of New York. Then the whole he becomes hugely popular after the whole San Juan Hill thing. He is in the paper. He has a ton of, you know, influential friends. Um, So before we get all that though, maybe it's it's worthwhile just a few high points of the bio. Oh, good lord! Where could we possibly start? Well. Two pieces. Yes. Two pieces of background are essential in understanding Roosevelt. We've talked about one about his weak and sickly nature from birth. Yeah. All right. He adored his father. Yes. He adored his father. Yes. Uh, His father was, you know, there was wealth in the family. Roosevelt is one of those old, old money Dutch New York names. So he comes in from privilege. Back in the building. He he worships really both parents. Yes. He's very close to his mother. His mother is a southerner. Right. Of all things. Uh, Mitty uh, Roosevelt, uh, her last name is Bullock. I believe that's right. Yes, yeah. exactly right. And so he's got all this. He has sisters. And he he's never able to achieve well physically because of this asthma and the sickliness that he has. Uh, he eventually... I'm not sure he he works on this as a young man. He takes up boxing and things like this, trying to yeah. Make himself, he takes up sports to really push himself. Which, that's part of it. He also recognizes the value of this in uh, handling the depressive nature that he has. He has depression all of his life, and his, his strenuous activity is in a non pharmacological world. That was his only way to work through that. So that's kind of in his background. But the real tragedy, I think, if you want to, you take that guy that's been brought himself up. He marries, and his wife dies right after childbirth, and right. his mother, beloved mother, dies the next day. Like yes, so and it is a it is it's it's a tragedy that colors him for the rest of his life. Right. It's not the last tragedy. Yeah, there's many more coming. Yeah, well, he's of course a Harvard person, um, he, although he, hugely a big deal at Harvard. This is one of the things that I, I loved uh, about reading about him, is he stopped at one point and looked at the benefit of what he got out of being at Harvard and whether or not it was worth it, and decided it wasn't worth it. <laughs> and he didn't. So basically, he thought Harvard was not useful to him. Yeah, that was useful obviously for the connections that he would have gotten. Yeah, him, right? yeah, right. But personally speaking, he did not think much of what Harvard did. For education. Him. He he considered his own education life. More yeah. so than that, than and, he, that. and he was well educated. I mean, no no question, he's well educated. Uh, the family took trips around the world, so he's well traveled for an American. Uh, goes to Harvard, meets uh, Alice Lee. Uh-huh. She is also part of a well connected Boston family. He adores her. Um, she does falls, falls madly in love with her. She yes. does uh, and has his uh, has the one child, Alice. Alice Roosevelt, who who would marry a congressman, uh, Longworth, uh-huh. 
And uh, there, I think there's a building name for him. And she lives a very, very long life. She may yes. have been the last of his children to die. Don't quote me on that. But she certainly lived. She a... lived all the way, I think, to the 1980s. Yeah, she was. I believe she appeared with Jimmy Carter or something. I, right. I mean... She was, and she was a force of to oh, herself. Oh, she was. Yeah, I mean, she, she was. was a and a, she was and her a, daddy's daughter. Yeah, she no was a doubt. whip. Um, but uh, the loss of. His wife and his mother at the same time. He's essentially parked his daughter Alice with his sisters right. and said, "I'm out of here. I, I, this is more than I can it, take." It, it almost destroyed him. He's very Nietzschean. You know that was just not yeah. destroy us makes us stronger. It took some time. And yeah, so he he disappears from New York and he goes to uh, the Dakotas. Yeah, um, has a ranch, and this is kind of where that legend sort of begins of him as this. You know, this rough-and-tumble rancher. Right. But, you know, his, all of his clothes in the D- Dakotas were made at, uh, you know, a tailor in New York. <laughs> right, yeah. He was, he was, he was very much the dude. He was he, yeah, a dandy. But, a dandy. But people liked him. Yeah. Because he, he was able to do what he said he would do. He says, you know, yeah, he may look like a fool, but you go out and you try to shoot with him, and he'll knock you down. Yeah. You know, well, or, or, he or got, box with him. Of all things, he got in a bar fight. Yeah. And... Basically took a beating, but got back up. Right, and and won uh, won the fight. Um, he was even then he was very much a this is what's right mm-hmm. and that's what's wrong, and if necessary, I'll do whatever it takes to uphold the right. That's correct. That's, um, yeah, that's there's why he's a, whole, a hero. Whole story of him uh, chasing some kind of bandit or somebody that was wanted on this like a raft and on the river and a horrible flood and a real mess and he comes out at the other end of it and he's fine and he brings the person in to custody um i'm probably misremembering some of these stories it has been a while since i read all of the edmund morris and we'll just while we're talking about it we'll just mention the titles real quick sure uh, the rise of theodore roosevelt is volume one that kind of runs all the way up through um his election the up to the election all through the whole rough rider thing that's again that's a the one that covers the real formative times. Theodore Rex is the presidency. Right. Uh, you know, this is the the top-level stuff. This is the best. Yeah. Uh, Pulitzer Prize stuff, both of them. And then Colonel Roosevelt is what he liked to be called post-presidency. Uh, so this one covers, again, the trip in the Amazon that ruins his health and the whole African safari yeah, and, and the, setting up Taft as a successor and then the breaking moose. with Taft and the bull moose party and right. the progressive stuff. And it goes up through the through uh, through the war uh, and yeah. the loss of his son Kermit, uh, which was, uh, no, 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 not Kermit, Quentin, excuse me. Quentin, Quentin is oh. the one who is killed as yeah, a Quentin, flyer. Sorry, Quick, Queeky Queek, yeah, Queek Queek. Yeah. So, because I know we don't like to miss an opportunity to bash President Wilson. Oh, mm-hmm. I was wondering if we were going to slide into this, yes. Take a thwack at that piñata, brother. Well, you know, it, it's such a that it's such a low bar. It's kind of hard not to trip over him and, and smack him in the head when you do. But I would like to point out one thing. This is the if you gotta blame Roosevelt for any one thing, say this is where you screwed up, brother. Yes, is he got Wilson elected? That's yeah. correct. The because if he had party. thrown his weight behind Taft, not that his weight would have made much difference with Taft, because Taft had, Taft had enough weight of his own. Yeah. Taft would have beaten Wilson. Yeah, yeah, the and the and the story, it really damages Roosevelt's legacy because it was seen as 
It's he, very selfish. He's yes, very, very ego narcissistic. He didn't feel that Taft was kind of living up to this dream of you Roosevelt know being Park a successor. Two. Yeah, and he felt like, well, you know what? Maybe I didn't really serve two full terms, and so what with precedent? And I'm going to run, and I'm going to try to run Taft off the ticket. And he didn't. And he, you know, Taft pulled all the strings because, as we know, the sitting president pretty much controls his party. That's right. Uh, you know, same thing happens in 1976. I mean, groundswell for Reagan, but Ford pulls all the levers and retains the nomination. Well, Taft did the same thing. Yeah. Pulled all the levers, uh, got all the procedural votes to go his way. All of his delegates were seated. He gets the nomination. Roosevelt bolts the party, forms the Progressive Party. Well, uh, Moose Party. Yeah. Well, officially, it's the Progressive Party. Right. He, wasn't, he, yep, gets, yep, yep. he gets shot, of all things. That's right. Yes. That's and uh, mm-hmm. isn't severely injured and tells somebody afterwards, I feel as good as a bull moose. Uh-huh. And that's where that name comes from, right. the bull You're moose right. party. And it fractures the GOP. Yep. Um, and Wilson uh, wins the 1912 uh, election with about... Forty-two percent of the vote, something like that. Right. Yeah, he had a. He did not have a majority. He had a but, plurality. Uh, Taft ended up with, I think it's fewer than twenty electoral votes, something like that. It was a, right. It's a huge mess. It was mainly a, a race between Roosevelt and Wilson. Yes. And you could you could argue that Taft drew votes away from Roosevelt, but really it was the other way around. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Because, you know, third parties that's what they do. That's right. They split the nature of politics in this country. Is that they split one of the two dominant parties yes. every single time? Ross Perot. Ross Perot. Different. Yeah, he did a Ross Perot. He did a Ross. Or Perot. Ross Perot did a Ted, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Except yeah. that Ross Perot was never president first. Yeah. Yeah. So but it's, it's that was the one thing uh, you can yeah, definitely. It, it was very very ego driven, very narcissistic. Uh, it was very. I'm unhappy with Taft. Well, so what? Right. You know, Suck it up, Buttercup. Yeah. Well, and, he, and you can even go take his his mistake back a little earlier because he he could have run for that third term, and he was he almost did. He was very very close, and he yeah. was talked out of it. And I think that burned after yeah. the fact four years later when Taft, you know, basically I was I was robbed. I should have done what I wanted to do, and damned if this whole precedent thing didn't stick with me. It screwed me. I'm going to screw back. And oh yeah, and ironically enough, it was still a Roosevelt who broke the taboo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, his yeah. cousin. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and that there is a thing to Roosevelt too that you know he would be kind of one thing for a while, and then another thing for a while, and he after losing in 1912, he made up nice a little bit with the GOP, supported Charles Evans Hughes and. 1916, um, when when the Progressive Party kind of collapsed. Right. Without, I mean, because it was it, it was, was Teddy. It should have been the Roosevelt Party because that's all it really was. That's it correct. Was just him, uh, kind of a you know very much a personal thing. Um, but uh, you know he would he would backtrack on pronouncements and he'd get wound up uh, in the heat of a campaign and say wild things and well, then and think about I it remember, better later. If, if and, I'm not mistaken, though. This is after his awful experience in the Amazon. The 16th. I want to say he was in the Amazon before that. Um, I, I'm 
trying to remember the timing. I think he was in Africa yeah, for did. a while for Taft, and then it, I, I it was after twelve. Think Amazon was yeah. I think in the Amazon. I know it was after twelve, but I'm not sure it was after sixteen because one of the great lost opportunities criticisms. Uh, against him, and like I said, we've talked, covered several, but another one was the foolhardiness of that expedition because the malaria that he caught and the other health issues that were a direct result of his being there uh, essentially killed him. It took a few years, but it's just that he was never the same after never that. Never the same after And there is the some that would say that all the stuff that he says in life after that is almost insane. Uh, some of his more some of his more strict or uh, very crazy-sounding things like that. Uh, he, he should have gone out, because he, he was a young man when he left office. He should have lived well into the 30s. You know, yes. he, should, he, should have, he should have lived another 20 years. Yeah, but, you know, he's also the kind of guy that you can't imagine living that long because he couldn't be the center of attention. Yeah. Well, that's he, yeah. He would have. Yeah. He would have. Uh, he, he couldn't have lived. He does that. not have elder statement written anywhere on him, <laughs> which is a shame. Right. Yeah, but you're right, exactly right. Burn out fast. Right. He's like Bill the Cat. Yeah. Peaks <laughs> early, and then that's it. That's right. So one other book I'll mention too. This is uh, uh, also very good. David McCullough. Always a fan. Oh, love love, love McCullough. McCullough. Yeah. That's right. Mornings on horseback. Um, this is. Much more about his family life, early childhood family life. Again, those that struggle against asthma, struggle against his health, how to build himself up, the trips around the world, things like that. His relationship again with his sisters, he was very close. Very uh, much so, and uh, yeah, his his study of his family is worth studying even uh, unto itself. Both his family of origin and uh, his his many children that he had with his second wife, Alice. Uh, no, but. Edith. Edith, sorry. Edith. I, I, knew I, was, yes. I knew I was speaking. Edith saved him, saved him. Correct. She was a childhood friend um, there was, that he reconnected with right. after the Dakotas, uh, after the ranch fails in the Dakotas. He comes back to New York, um, becomes a historian, yeah. and, and becomes starts to become involved in New York politics, uh, gets elected to the State House, things like that. Right. And that's when he courts Edith, marries her. And they had a great love affair. The, uh, one of the things that you can say about Ro- one of the things you can't say about Roosevelt was that he was a philanderer. He was, for no. all understanding, he was not. He was very faithful to his wife. He was very faithful to both Alice and Edith. That's right, and he loved them deeply, and his children as well. And he and he had quite a few. I mean, Alice was uh, was from the was the only one from his first marriage, but the rest of them, you know, he had quite a few there. Yeah, uh, five with Edith. That's right. Yes, and, Theodore uh, Jr. Uh huh. Kermit. Quentin. Quentin. Yep. Archibald and Corinne. Corinne, that's right. And, and I think the order is right on that. They all... It's close. I think Quentin may have been the youngest. Uh, I think so, yeah, because Quentin dies in, uh, in World War He's I. He's a flyer in World War I, a that's volunteer right. and flyer. They, they never recover his body, if I'm not mistaken, but there's a picture that comes back. Yeah, that, he's he's buried in France, I think. Yeah, because... Uh, uh, and and it, it, that, it broke Edith's heart. It, yeah, it broke, it broke, broke Teddy's, too. He cried for days. Yeah. When, the, when they confirmed that yes, he did die because he was kind of the baby. Uh, um, Te- uh, Theodore Jr. Uh, was the oldest. He was not. He and Roosevelt were 
uh, were good, but they weren't as close as Quentin. Quentin, uh, I mean, excuse me, Kermit. Yeah. Kermit and Roosevelt were the two that were the most. most Kermit's the one that goes with him to the Amazon. To the Amazon, that's correct. Yes, it and takes ironically, Theodore Jr. is a brigadier general. Yes. In in the Normandy landing. Yes. Yes. Played very well by I believe Henry Fonda. Yes, that's yes. right. In the longest day, uh-huh. and because he himself, he was involved in politics uh, in the twenties, Republican politics. Yes, and it was yeah. part of the Teapot Dome scandal, if I recall. And yes, there was some tie to Teapot Dome, and they kind of never forgave Eleanor, uh, Eleanor because she showed up at all of his political rallies with like a giant macrame or not macrame, um, paper mache teapot or something, right? And yeah, that's right. Because know, they supported were the opponent, and it kind of because they were cousins. They were cousins. Yes, um, Eleanor Roosevelt's father was Theodore Roosevelt's younger brother, Elliot. Exactly. Yes. And Uncle Teddy is what she called him. Yes, and so they were first cousins. That would make them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Teddy Jr. Teddy Jr. Yes, they were first cousins. Now Franklin is. Is more distant. He's more distant cousin. Correct, yes. and it's and it's ironic that Eleanor Roosevelt's maiden name was also Roosevelt. She was closer to the Teddy Roosevelt yes. than Franklin was. Yes. They were close. Well, thankfully, I mean that was. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right, uh, and uh, that's another story. But I, I do want to make sure. Well, let's take the bourbon break first. We need to take a bourbon break because you know right. we're, we're thirty. Well, you in. are the captain. You are the that's captain. Right. So well, let's we do it. it. Yes, this we need to deserves talk new bourbon. Now, Roosevelt was a was a hard drinker. It's well known. And, uh, and it could hold his younger brother good. was as well. Yeah, his, his younger brother was alcoholic. Yes, Elliot, Elliot was an alcoholic. Was, and that's what killed him. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a that's another story we'll get to in a little bit here. But uh, we're drinking a new one this time. Yes. Thanks to Martin, and you'll have to kind of walk us through this one here. Well, my uh, my buddy at work, Mikhail, I'll call him, uh, recommended this. This is Michter's. Now, Michter's is um, local here in Louisville. Uh, so this is Michter's Small Batch US One, um, gorgeous color, yes. nice and dark, rich. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so a this dark is this look. has got to be aged a good six years, I would think. Um, boy, this is mellow and smooth, and it is. It's got the nose is uh, a, a great uh, woodsy it's char got a body to it. It's got a depth. That uh, is very different than some of the others we've had. Yeah, uh, like our last one, uh, Stonehammer. Uh, there's a lot of that uh, in the mouth when you first drink it. Yep. Um, it's in a way, it's similar. It's a slow burn down. You know, it takes yep. a while to make its way down. Uh, but you're right; it's much, much smoother. Um, yep. Not to, to use the wine snob terms, but in a way, I think that I think this is more complex. It is in the sense that there's a little bit more going on. There's there's yeah, there's the more flavors. going on, more complexity, more woodsy, more uh, the, a much better nose to it. The the it's a little I'm, sweet. Yes, uh, it's a little it's sweet. very sweet, especially on the first taste. Yes, it yes. was it was not it was not at all like the Stonehammer that had that almost medicinal type to it. Uh, I didn't mind it. Wow, look at you, Galt. Mar- Whoa, you you threw that bad boy down there, Mark. Yeah, that's good stuff. <clears throat> Um, yes, while it is a sipping bourbon in class, it is um, like we talked about with the Stonehammer. Yep. Uh, don't sip in small sips, otherwise you don't really because you need to cover the tongue. I think. Yeah. You need to get a you need to get a mouthful. You get some of that in there and get to chewing it. Yeah. And, and maybe that's just 
you know, we just don't know what we're doing as well as we should. Um, well, you know, there's some there is something to that. You know, we are uh, always learning. That's You're right. always learning, and I'm more than happy to, to learn new things. Uh, and it's, in a way, it's almost better to learn them by accident because, you know, we're just funning around. That's right. Because uh, such a, oh, wow, this is great kind of moment. Well, then you appreciate what you've learned. Yes. As opposed to being taught something and just never knowing yeah. any different. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to admit I'm still pretty much a beginner at this whole bourbon Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yes. And yet but, we've got 134 episodes worth of... <laughs> Uh, well, we haven't business. done a bourbon break in every single episode, have we? Well, uh, but we haven't tried as many different ones throughout. Well, we have had, so we, we've had a lot of repeats. Well, yeah, because we don't drink it that much. You know, we're not constantly buying a new bottle every time. My God, that would be expensive. well. We don't get together often enough just to hang out to to get through our. Because really, I mean, let's face it, this is the only time we tend to get together. Well, the only thing that keeps my bourbon rotating is my brother-in-law's but that's okay yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> but the good stuff i won't let them have so well, you know i guarantee that we will have some bourbon again this evening oh okay well, because right. uh brother d yeah will definitely have bourbon on hand well there we go uh, matter of fact your wife will be very pleased because he is a fan of angels and oh well I'll have so to he make... will likely have some there well she will love that because that's her that is my dear lovely wife that is her brand and it's got, we used, we drank it one early episode before yes. we were told, keep thy hands off by your own, smarty pants. So we've not had angels in me since that first yes. time. Listeners know that story well because it's well worth telling. That's right. Well, we've talked about it a few times. That's right. Yes. Uh, and I get it because we, we, we chugged her down. We did. We, we did. We used it, I think maybe, we may have used it in two episodes, but it, it was it was practically gone. Well, it, it, that one's a fun bourbon. Uh, Love you know, it. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's one that is very much... Not in the mouth and the, the, you know, it's a throat into the stomach oh, is where you, you really... got the cork sound on there, dude. Come on. Yeah, that's right. Well, as you I said know. earlier, that's a great sound. It is. That's I'm, right. I'm, uh, it's taking me a minute to get uh, licorice. Licorice? I'm getting a, a, a little, I guess maybe it's the aftertaste, but I'm getting a little licorice out of this. Really? I don't know. Like, is it, is it black licorice? Yeah. It's See, I'm not getting black because I, I can't stand black licorice, personally. Um, the well, licorice. Because I'm feeling the, 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 the sharpness uh, of it more. It's is good o- to me, it's overpowering the sweetness. One thing I do find interesting as far as the texture goes, it's. I don't know what the appropriate word would be in the bourbon world, but it's almost uh, oily or slimy. Uh, Those have negative connotations. You don't mean that. Right, and yeah. I don't mean that, but there's a texture that's almost like if there's a coating <coughs> a to thickness. the bourbon. The, the mouthfeel has more... There's more to it. It's not as thin. That's right. Right, yeah, it's yeah, definitely it, not as thin. That's right. Well, I can tell you... Because I have, I've drank a bit of it here, and I let it lay, and I'm still tasting the sweetness aftertaste minutes later in my oh, mouth. Yes. Yeah, that's unusual. Usually, they don't. It, yeah. At best, you get a sting from the alcohol in your mouth. Yeah, not this sweet taste. So there's a there's another point for this. Yeah. One. So again, a, a, there's a really nice char on the nose at the first scent of it. Um, and licorice is a you know that's a flavor that's related to a lot of spices, so you get their spice, their sweet. It's a very adult flavor. You know Most what? Kids yeah. don't even like it. I yeah. get your licorice when I sniff it. Really? Not a taste so much, but I am getting it when I sniff it. 
I can see that. Yeah, just taking a whiff as we, as yes. we speak. Because yeah. I think get the, up, the sharpness overpowers... Because to Ooh. me, the, the, the sweetness comes after it's had a chance to, to, to go through just a little bit. Yeah, um, put your but, nose yeah. into that thing, and there's a powerful, powerful yeah, yeah. waft. It's it's very, uh, <coughs> very woodsy, smooth. You know, make a good candle smell. My wife bought a bourbon candle. It's a bourbon vanilla. So I don't know what what the hell it is, but you can smell the bourbon. I love it. That's just, that's pretty nice. Yeah, it's yeah absolutely yeah. like that. So yeah, the Mictors, This is uh, this the, uh, this is a price point we're not usually at. It is a little bit higher. You're talking about 50 bucks, 45 50 something like that. Uh, yeah, I think it usually retails at around 48 Okay, yeah. I got much. it less than that because Martins are thrifty. Well, there. Whatever gets you there. That's right. Well, and that's fair because we redundant, don't... Redundant, 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 redundant. We don't I, I buy a lot of high-end bourbons. bourbons. Uh, yeah, pulling pennies. Yeah. So, yes, this one is a, a little bit higher price point than we usually are other than yeah. double-oaked. Right. The double-oaked doesn't say is the probably the... List price is fifty nine. You can usually find it on sale for forty nine. Yeah, so, in a very rare case, you yeah. can find it less. So this would be a very comparable price point. This Michter's, uh, it's it's advertised as a pre revolutionary war recipe, uh, and okay. again, it must be very well aged. It's dark and beautiful, um, yes. but again, good char, a little licorice hint. Um, I'm, I'm very much a fan. A little bit of sweet. And very smooth. And it this would be is, one that if Teddy ass. Roosevelt were to come over for to, for drinks, I would feel confident in serving this to yeah, the man. This That's is great. Ass. How's that for a bring back around? Yeah, there you go. That's a right, nice one. Nice one. Run with it, brother. Well, Take yeah, off. But you know, like, you know, actually, we've we've done this pretty pretty dang on good. We don't have to spend a whole lot more time on him. Uh, his family life was very important. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about the Panama Canal. You have to talk about. You have to talk about the Panama Canal. Because it's it, visionary. It's visionary. It's also it's it's and it's very American in the fact that we take something that nobody else had the vision or the will to complete. The French had already flamed out trying right exactly. at the uh, Tuculebra, uh, the the cut. There. Yes, yeah. We we changed all that, and, and that was in Nicaragua. Yes, and we decided that you know well, and some of this is stemming off the Monroe Doctrine. Kind of, yeah. Like, well, if it's gonna be done, damn it, we should do it. Right. And this is also Roosevelt in his greediest saying, "Yeah, and now it's mine, 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 mine." Right. It was called his folly for many cases because guys that had gone into here from the French in particular, what flamed them out is yellow fever and you know disease. Yeah, just it just rampant yeah. through there. Uh, you can't you can't make it happen, even though it's only what a mile, two miles in the end uh, to get through that isthmus. Uh, it was he brought the enormous industrial yeah. might of yeah. America. Only Americans would. Not it's not entirely because there are pan, there are canals other places, but it is so American to actually change the terrain of continents to suit our economic whims. Well, that's true, <laughs> and there's a lot of truth yeah. in it because the Panama Canal was was huge for all sorts of reasons, but one of the biggest is this is pre World War One. Very much pre World War One, where we are still seen as those idiot bastards over there in America that don't know any the hillbillies, the hicks, the cowboys. Right. We're a world power because we are now a colonial power. That's right. We've defeated Spain. We've removed them from the ranks of that. Uh, that of, certainly of helped. Power. Roosevelt's great white fleet, which is actually under McKinley when uh, when he was uh, naval secretary. Uh, naval secretary. So that's all those things put into play. This moment, one of the reasons that Teddy wanted to do it more than anything else is we're going to show the world 
we are just as good, if not we better. We can do anything we you can, can do, do. We can do, like yeah. the old song, we can do anything you can do, but we can do it better. Yeah. And damned if you didn't. Yeah, because there's, there's so much going on with the Panama Canal. When you cut across the two oceans like that, it's trade and all of that. Which we are now the arbiters of. Yeah, it's military as well. And it cuts, what, 30 days off the trip? That's correct. To the West Coast? I mean, it. this is a huge deal. And yeah, okay, he kind of buffaloed Columbia. But they had their chances. Well, yeah. You know, they were offered a lot. Here, take money. It's cool. Take all this money. Well, no, that's not enough. Well, that's all there's going to be because it's a lot. Yeah. And... You know, there were chances to do this in ways that didn't kind of just stampede Columbia, but... True, but on the other hand, it probably would not have gotten done if he had not taken charge. Yeah. Yeah, the the leadership qualities that he had uh, were enormous. We've not really talked a lot about that, but that strength of personality, some would call it being a bully. Yes. But... It may be a bully, but if it's for the right reason, on the end, yeah. Yeah, I know I'm, 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 I'm real. I'm, that's what I'm wanting to see. You're teetering is, on the edge there. Teetering but on I the mean, edge. Your, yeah, your toes are getting it, wet. It, you're it was waist deep already. That's it right. was something that needed to be done. Uh, he had, Obviously, he wasn't the only one who had this vision. As we said, the French had already flamed out in twenty this, years prior in this very spot. No, no, the French had done it in Nicaragua. That's right. It was a, it was a different place. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was a similar place. Oh, was close. okay. So we we bought the rights to even attempt it. Correct. From from them, uh, they had the rights to make an attempt. Right. At whatever spot. And we're the ones. And that, we picked a different spot once we had the rights to even attempt it. Exactly, and because we had to go, we had to go. Like you said, we had to get the, get the land from Colombia, which was you know technically it's Panama today, but there was no such place. It was you know, yeah. It was I mean, it, it was. Fomenting a you know a, a rebellion slash independence movement away from Colombia. Yeah, in many ways, this is the some of the worst examples of American imperialism. Yes, uh, right. And Which yeah, although, it was done for a good reason in the sense that yeah, you know, cutting thirty days off of travel from the from the Atlantic to the Pacific or vice versa is a great thing. Not having to go around the uh, the uh, Cape Horn. The, the Cape Horn. Is a phenomenal thing to not have to do because going around the horn of any of you know we're talking Africa or South America, you want to avoid. That's just yeah. Not, well, the, the weather is the weather is ridiculous down that way. Yeah, uh, and you know up until this point, that's mostly uh, sail powered, mm-hmm. and so which is even worse. So there's lots of reasons to to do this. Yeah, it was done. Yeah, we probably got a. a, a a black eye in certain ways out of it, but nobody's really going to challenge us on it either. Um, it's one of those things where you kind of got to say, mm, you don't get an A for this, but you're certainly not going to get a failing grade either. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, you know, and, and Panama came into existence because of this, because we yeah. basically backed that source. Of, you want to, hey, if you let us have it, we'll help you get away from those Colombians down there. And sure enough, well, is, you know, is that a good thing though? That well, that's correct. You know, the uh, that's one of the reasons why we are probably not vilified for what we did compared to what most European approaches were in, say, Africa, 
you know, the Belgian Congo, for goodness sakes. I mean, you've, we've spoken yeah. about that oh, yeah, many right. times. And that was, you know, Leopold was, you know, the, one of the great scumbags. In fact, we're going to do a series one of these days on great scumbags. History's dirtbags. Yeah, history's dirtbags. That's oh, something yeah. we've been yeah, talking I don't about. Have, I don't have Leopold in the list, but he, he, he certainly deserves it. He belongs. Yeah, yeah. He, definitely. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dante's Inferno, he's definitely up to his lips. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally yeah. with you on that one. Yeah. So, one of the things that um, I, I want to look big picture. Yes, please, big let's picture look, us, Robert. big picture here. Because what, there are fascinating things about the man for a lot of reasons. In many ways, he has straddled eras in the same way our generation has. Yes. Yeah. So he's, uh, and only it was more stark with, yeah. with what he's he did. He's the first obviously. Gen Xer. Yeah, he's the first Gen Xer. <laughs> um, he is the prototypical Gen Xer. Uh, in many ways, that's very true when you think about yeah, some look, of our traits. I mean, yeah, if you, uh, yeah, if you look you know. at generational uh, ebbs and flows, he fits in with that same model. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's, I mean he's, he's very much would have been at home with uh, a lot of the, the stuff that we grew up with, but he also would have would have decried a lot of it as well. Yeah, but he straddled the the transition from the agrarian. Uh, mostly rural America to the mm. more modern industrial America. Yes. The Industrial Revolution was well underway by the time he became president, but he was in politics during the height of it when it first got started. He understood it probably understood more it. than more than almost anyone else. Probably so. From a from a big picture world standpoint, yes. yes, he always had the whole global aspect in his mind. Well, and and that's kind of the other thing, you know. He's uh, you know he straddled those two eras. And he was comfortable in, in, in either one. And he also understood both the good and the excesses of both. Uh, that's why he was big on the antitrust. Mm-hmm. He saw that the excesses were there and that they did not serve the common good. And where his, and that's where his progressivism I can admire. Where something does not serve the common good, in a, he was against it. And not so that the government could come in and take it over and fix it, but so that, you know he was using the government to reset the playing field uh, in many ways. Now, whether it was properly reset, we can certainly argue. Right, right. Um, but that was the intent. Yeah. And I, I find that very admirable. Was to try to make it fair for everybody. Yeah. Now, you know, it pro- he probably wasn't. He probably didn't even have in mind a perfect fairness, but. You know, if there's a glaring problem, by God, we need to get rid of that problem. And, you know, I certainly admire that. Uh, he certainly set up, though, in many ways, <coughs> I think, Pardon me. The, the precedent for the worst excesses that we see in government today. Government interventions? Government interventions, government overreach, um... All those sorts of things, because he was the first big government president. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that Lincoln was, but that was for wartime emergencies, uh, and it didn't stick. He was really the first one who who thought, "I can use the presidency in ways others haven't." Yes, to right. to try to address things in the public eye. Right, and certain things started under him that may not have taken uh, come to full fruition until Taft and later. Uh, things like uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. uh, certain, you know, all those kinds of things started, which were seen as progressive things at the time, 
turned out to not be very progressive at all uh, by today's time. But then again, a lot of things that people call progressive today are not really progressive in the classical sense. Right. Um, but a lot of those things that we take for granted in the modern life have their origins in him and his presidency, mm-hmm. his influence. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, yeah, he did a lot of things first Yeah, that we take as normative today. Exactly. Now, others may have expanded upon them and be more yeah. famous for them because obviously the later Roosevelt, Franklin, is more known for expansive government. But Franklin Roosevelt never could have done what he did if Teddy Roosevelt had not done the trust-busting some of those things then. Yeah, to make the government an interventionist force. Yes. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the, the government really did not, up until that point, did not get involved in a lot of things unless it was issues between states. You know, right. uh, big things. Yeah. Uh, this is when the Supreme Court really became a power unto itself, starting in the 20th century. Again, it all starts with Roosevelt. For good or ill, and maybe it was, it was inevitable that these things would eventually come because at some point the hierarchies are going to because everything is a hierarchy human nature creates hierarchies that's just the way things are right and the tendency will always be for greater and greater wealth and power to be concentrated in a smaller number of hands and you can say the, you know some of the things he set up helped that but some of the things he set up uh, helped uh, hinder that you know, so in that sense, he probably nobody could have seen what would come a hundred years later. But right, you know, a lot of the roots, for good or ill, go to Teddy, which I find fascinating. Personally, uh, yeah, that's one of one of the more reasons to really like him. Before we end up here, though, I do want to make sure I give a shout out to. We talked about the books you should read, uh, McCulloch and uh, Edward Morris's. Ed Morris is one of the very very best. Time well spent would be for all of these subjects we've talked about is Ken Burns's The Roosevelt's six part series. Yeah, that's another Ken Burns. Has he done has he done you know, is there anything he has not done a six part series on? Well, well, because every time we talk, there's another. Hemingway was three, uh, but yes, he's, well, all right, he's a multi-part. Team, I gotta yeah, watch right. a Hemingway. I gotta watch a Roosevelt, and I gotta watch a Mark Twain. Twain. That's right, two part Twain. Oh. Uh, but see, The Roosevelt's is it's also it starts with Teddy and Eleanor in many ways because she's a small child, and morphs into Franklin and ends with Eleanor because she's the last one passed away. So it's it's the whole all three of those very powerful people. And the families and the world that surrounded them. Uh, and as we know, we're big fans of Ken Burns. He did a spectacular job, as always, with this. It's well worth mm-hmm. your time, folks. If you really want to know Teddy uh, and, and all the other worlds, too, it's uh, I think the first three are primarily just Teddy. Most, of course, Eleanor's yeah. kind of built into it, and, and it slowly moves away. Uh, from that, yeah, and it was really yeah. damn. It's good, but yeah, uh, it goes into depth with all these things: the coal strike, uh, every, every all these other little mm-hmm. pieces. We don't even have time to even just skim over. Oh yeah, we, we didn't talk about the Nobel Prize and the uh, uh, the uh, Russo-Japanese War. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You know, and again, uh, you talk about these interesting historical arcs. He's a young man. Or a young boy, when Lincoln's killed, yep. he watches Lincoln's funeral procession through New York from a window of his home. Yep. So he sees he's there when you know 
an impressionable boy when Lincoln's killed. He's a young adult coming into his own when Garfield is killed, and he's vice president when McKinley's killed. That's right. So th- this this and was art, himself shot. <laughs> yeah, and, and so damn tough he survived. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and the, the, again, this this Roosevelt, he's shot. The crowd jumps. The assassin, the right. would be assassin, and he says, "Hold on, hold on to him till the police come." Yeah, because they're they're going to drag the guy off and hang him. Well, absolutely. Because I mean, they just watched him shoot an ex president. That's right. Uh, it's like there's kind of no question about guilt here, but Roosevelt forestalls a lynching of this guy and says, "Hold on, wait till the police get here." That's right. And they, they put him into custody. Yeah, yeah. Had had the aim been more accurate, the ending would have been different in that. Yeah. I'm sure. And he hit his uh, folded up speech in his pocket. I think it is. It was in his eyeglass case. Yeah, in his yeah. eyeglass case. Yeah. Um. So that's, that's what saved his life. Yeah. Yeah. That and the. Uh, low muzzle low, velocity yeah, uh, low the weapons of the time. <laughs> yeah. Because right. that's important. It, it, yeah, it is. It is you know. That's important. All it's right. a small caliber weapon. All right. Well, so speaking of small calibers, we'll end this now. No, that's, uh, we're not talking about such things like that. Speaking of uh, weapons. And... Uh, speaking, yeah, speaking of weapons and, and, and things like that, we've got to go uh, and, and end this, land this plane and, and make sure that we're talking about next time. You guys ready? Yes, yes, please. Tell us what's next time. It's Christmas time, boys. Jingle and bells jingle and bells presents and wrapping and, and that's tinsel. Right. You know, we always do a Christmas episode. And crazy lines in, in December, uh, our, our stores. Pop, pop culture, we always do something Christmas related. And it's Robert's idea this time. We're going to talk about St. Nicholas. Yes. And his and history. Captain. And Robert will be captaining. And I think the title of it is Punching Heretics. I actually have a, a, a longer title for that. Uh, it is... Uh, hi, I'm St. Nicholas. I'm here to give out presents and punch heretics, and I'm fresh out of presents. Okay, there we go. Join us next time. <laughs> That's a mouthful of a title. That's going to be great. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes publish every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.